Welcome to the Evolution Exchange Australia podcast. We're bringing together the best technical leaders from across the industry to discuss passions, challenges, and ideas. I'm Mira, and I connect businesses with talented contractors in the Sydney market. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Evolution Exchange. Today, I'm joined by Daniel, Troy, Leonard, and Tron to discuss the role of solution architecture in modern technology-focused companies. Super excited to learn from everyone today, but before we jump in, I'll get everyone to introduce themselves first. Um, Daniel, if you wanted to start. Yeah, hi. I'm Daniel Nicholson, Head of Architecture for Coles Group. Um, I'm passionate about getting the right result for uh, the business uh, in the architecture function. And um, outside of that, I do like uh, gaming, board games, video games, all those type of games. So, Thanks, Daniel. And Leonard? Oh, hi, Leonard. Uh, Head of Architecture Delivery at Medibank. Um, so what I'm passionate about is actually, you know, building teams and capability, developing people to deliver great technology outcomes. Thanks, Leonard. And Troy? Uh, G'day, uh, I'm Troy, uh, Head of Architecture at Seek. Um, I have a software engineering background, so I'm passionate about sort of building great products for customers um, at scale and all the sort of complexity that comes with that. Um, when I'm not doing that, I love being outside. I love fall driving and camping and fishing and all those sort of things. So a little bit of a um, departure from technology, which is very healthy at times. 100%, thank you. And Tron? Yeah, hi, I'm Tron Davis, uh, Head of Architecture at uh, One Digital, um, which is uh, uh, one of the scale up within the West Farmers Group. Um, so, um, <clears throat> and uh, what I'm passionate about, uh, it might be also a bit of a, maybe a cliche here, but I, I love building uh, multidisciplinary teams. And uh, when you get all the, the engineers, the product team, the CX team and architecture come together and build you know, great products uh, that, are, that are, our customers love. So just having that that multidisciplinary um, group together and building those teams, that's what I'm uh, really passionate about work-wise. Uh, outside of that, uh, yeah, you probably mostly find me on the, on the road uh, riding a bike somewhere or maybe in the, uh, up in the mountains riding a bike as well. So that's, uh, that's where, I spend my, where I spend my spare time. Thanks, John. We'll jump into the discussion now where we've got quite a bit to cover. So we'll be covering what solution architecture means to everyone, how it fits in within a business and your organization. Do we need architects, bimodal enterprise architecture, evolving governance and stepping away from ivory tower architecture? Lots to cover. So I'll get Tron to kick things off with what solution architecture means to him. Yeah, so um, so uh, as I said, I work uh, at at One Digital. So we are quite a new company, um, and uh, we uh, our product uh, building up One Pass is actually just one year old. So so our view on architecture might uh, might be different from uh, from uh, situations and organisations that I work with in the past, where you have uh, where you have uh, uh, you know a number of legacy systems. Uh, we built a cloud native from scratch uh, solution um, and. Uh, and uh, and in that context, solution uh, or you know architecture has played a really sort of really strong role to start with to set the principles, the guardrails, the standards for for choosing how to do that, um, and um, and then in a uh, dividing that into domains, uh, we have uh, our sort of ethos had been to leave the domains um, to. To solve for themselves, so the solution architecture has been then evolving 
within the domain, and you see that quite quite a quite a difference. So less less commonality across, I guess you can say, and uh, and and that's how we have uh, have uh, have built that. We do now see that you know, like talking about governance, for instance, we we are also uh, have. Uh, built up uh, a level of governance where when we see there are solutions end to end we we do need have the need for, uh, for architects to to design end to end solutions as well so so we have uh, but we have sort of actively decided to keep the the architecture team relatively small and distribute the architecture work out to to these domain teams so so that's that's how we have uh, we have organized ourselves and and how we we view um uh, solution architecture as well and the way we would work does that resonate yeah. with anyone else on the on the on the call here as well you know we're different flavors of architecture so so architecture obviously has uh, a level of ambiguity in terms of what people do because it really depends on the situation and the company and what's and how you go about delivery so you know we have kind of enterprise at one end where you might go what's one end of a spectrum and solution product platform technical kind of form in another part of the spectrum and to me Solution architecture kind of really spans, you know, partly into strategic, partly into the platform, partly into technology. It's a bit of a glue. So, it's, so that's why to me it's quite hard to define and it really depends on the situation. But really kind of when I look at it, it's about really driving, a, to me, a step change of a start and a stop, right, even though we don't like to use the term a project necessarily, but really kind of it's moving from some kind of current state to where we want to be. It may not be the final state, but the solutioning is really important uh, around that. And that's kind of what the solution architecture kind of core activity is to me. Um, and that's kind of how we kind of think about, well, maybe it starts with a level of ambiguity. So maybe there's some strategic work to do that certainly stops at delivering something concrete. That's a that's a nice way of putting it, right? You don't sometimes you don't know what the what the start point is, um, but you you obviously hope to drive to an endpoint at some stage, and it's really guiding um, guiding the business um, or your stakeholders kind of on that journey as well. Yes, yeah, so solution architecture at Seek, I think, something that's evolved probably over the last sort of six years. Um, six years ago around the time when Daniel's old boss um, was there. Um, it was really a collection of senior tech leaders who would come together on a weekly basis to talk about how they'd evolved down different paths and, and whether or not that was healthy for the business. And it was just through that kind of community of practice of tech leads um, that we sort of formally became an architecture function that helped guide the organization kind of back to what we called the paved road. Um, which is to kind of do things um, in more of a standard way so we could leverage, you know, common approaches, common platforms, common um, tools across the business. Um, and so the architecture function at Seek was really born out of lead software engineers trying to sort of standardize the way we did things. Um, I, I think we've been through sort of like three or four main progressions from there where, you know, it was kind of tech leads and it was formalized to a, an architecture group doing what we called at the time software architecture and the roles themselves were called software architects. Um, 
as we started to get more involved in sort of cross-cutting initiatives, um, that's where we started to use the term probably solution architecture. Um, and so today at Seek, we actually have a role of solution architect and what they're mostly responsible for is being attached to a, a given initiative that might cross boundaries within the organization. So when we think about solution architecture as a term, um, it's kind of a process of defining a you know integrated um, implementation, but it's also a role. Um, and maybe just to sort of differentiate that, we also have a role of uh, principal architect and the principal architect is the single architect responsible for a given domain. Um, and within that structure, the principal architects will have a squad of solution architects who report into them who would cover cross-cutting concerns within what we call portfolios. Um, so for us, solution architecture evolved from tech leads doing software architecture into more cross-cutting, um, you know, also include guiding the standards um, into, yeah, what we call uh, solution architecture. And now I think Seek's actually evolved to that point where um, even though Seek's about 23, 24 years old, we're still rapidly growing. Um, I think we grew about 35% in the last 12 months, um, you know, we're significantly growing the platform as well as we sort of consolidate our businesses globally. And so the role of architecture is shifting again now to sort of have more of an enterprise wide lens across all of these entities that we're acquiring and integrating into the environment as well. So um, for me, who's kind of been on that journey from the start, it, it's kind of like, hey, I'm trying to build this system and do it in a way that's fairly consistent with what some other team's doing um, through to, hey, what are we acquiring? Why are we acquiring it? Um, what state is it in? What risk are we taking on? How are we going to mitigate those risks? What platforms are we going to leverage across that ecosystem? And it's it's very different now. And it, in, in some ways, my role feels somewhat removed from the solution architect. Um, yeah, that's yeah. kind of what it means. I was just going to comment, mm. Troy, that, um, you know, when I was at Ericsson, the majority of solution architecture was actually, I would call, uh, system integration, building connection of platforms, not too much software development. But in the next place, solution architecture was much more about application and software architecture, much less about buying stuff and having to glue it together. And certainly at Medibank being an, being an enterprise, it's a combination. The actual kind of buy versus build is part of a choice within the solution architecture process and some things will go down a software development path and some things will go down an integration path. And I think the solution is really important to determine what's the best approach as well. Yeah. yeah. So at Seek, we actually have two heads of architecture. There's me and I typically have a counterpart. I cover the product domain and my counterpart covers the corporate domain. Yeah. Um, we still have the same structure and the same role, solution architect on both sides, but they have very different backgrounds, very different skill sets. And I think, um, you know, one is, you know, one version you described and the other is the other version you yeah. described. And they're typically um, either got a lot of experience in like Salesforce or Workday or whatever it might be. And on the other side, it's a lot of experience with, you know, TypeScript and AWS and building things. So there's always this inherent bias on one side to buy and integrate and on the other side to kind of build and operate. Yeah, and that's, uh, I guess that's really part of like being a bimodal kind of enterprise architecture function. And that's kind of one part is that, you know, integrating you know, software selection, RFPs, things like that. The other one is that real product development. And I think, um, yeah, at, 
at Coles, um, you know, being a large corporate as well, we definitely have both. We've got almost probably a blend of about everything. We do um, we do uh, buy stuff a lot of times. You know, so the things that don't differentiate um, our business, we just uh, we you know, prefer to buy or rent. You know, if we're looking at SaaS products, but those real um, kind of differentiators, we do try and build in house or you know work with partners to to build. And that's where that takes us down more the um, that agile path or the you know with um, like product squads and product teams to actually like build out functionality. Over um you know over more agile methods. Yeah, and I think we can. Uh, we're, we're, I think we need to talk after this, Troy, because it sounds like you are just a few a few months or years ahead of uh, us here, and our evolution of auto architecture is probably becoming here as well. We are very sort of product led, uh, or maybe even exclusively product led as an architecture function, and 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 our, and our view on solution architecture is. As you also alluded to there at Seek, the, the, it is the tech leads who are performing for, for different squads that are performing the role of uh, of architecture, uh, or solution architecture, and defining that. And um, and uh, but we don't have the role. The role doesn't exist at uh, at One Digital uh, at all. We have domain architects and uh, and the head of, uh, uh, and that's that that's the way we're governed. So we sit, let's just call it a bit sort of more abstracted from it, if if you like. Um, but but run the governance across uh, across that when and and we put the, the onus and the responsibility and accountability for uh, for uh, uh, for bringing up uh, you know complicated topics or uh, cross functional topics cross domain um, concerns to to uh, to the governance so that we uh, we share it and say yeah that's fine you you go in this direction. Uh, or, or we combine and find a common solution to it. So, um, but yeah, so that, uh, that's probably, probably a good segue into the second topic, which is how does <laughs> solution architecture fit into your organization? But um, you mentioned something before, Tron, about within your sort of domain boundaries, people are kind of have the autonomy to do things the way they want to. I don't know if I sort of heard that correctly. Is that a deliberate choice or is that a side effect of something? Um. Uh, it is a site. I guess it's. Um, it was early on deliberate um, to to scale very quickly. Uh, there was a there was a target to go to market very quickly with this product. Uh, so the less dependencies different domains had on each other, the 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 faster they could go. So uh, we didn't concern ourselves with how domains build their domain, um, even down to to language choice and uh, and how they. Uh, and how each domain solved the problem, um, but we did have so. But there was strong governance, sort of above, saying in as a score above, but saying that these are the principles of how we work, um, and the principles of uh, of how we develop software. So there were some strong guidelines, uh, but how it was done after that was uh, was left to the domains. But I think that's um, to, to be fair, that's that's evolving now because we do see more cross domain. Challenges and concerns, mm. and and the need to, in somewhere where it makes sense, we we do standardize and and consolidate um, uh, more. But as always, that trade off, right? That we that we constantly negotiating on, uh, of of how much and how little uh, we, we we standardize, because there is there is the obvious um, sort of holy grail of if you can have a domain, it can they can be autonomous, they can move much faster, less dependencies, less planning, less. Uh, Less of that, or cross-domain uh, planning, uh, at least. So, 
So uh, it is a constant uh, trade-off in negotiation on, on that uh, as we evolve. I think one of the, the things that um, Coles and, and Trond, it'll be interesting to see a journey in a couple of years, I th- because um, like a long, oh, a while ago, five, 10 years ago, kind of anyone could choose whatever technology they wanted to build in. And so we do have some of these um, solutions now that are, you know, it's really um, technology sprawl. We've got, you know, different DevOps pipelines, CICD tools, monitoring tools, trying to actually get together um, and like centralize on some of these things, like just observability um, you know, across your network, things like that is, uh, is quite difficult now because we've got people who are really embedded uh, in, in their kind of tech stack. And so applying um, kind of enterprise architecture principles across that now is actually really quite difficult. So um, if a business is, uh, or a domain has been building in a particular app stack for you know five years and you're trying to get them to move across to a, a tool, even just as simple as logging, um, if they've been on one that they love for five years, trying to get them to move to a centralized one is now kind of non impossible. And we're we kind of at um, you almost at loggerheads on this because they've got something that works well, but you're trying to centralize a function um, to get you know um, cost benefits, you know um, efficiencies, things like that. So you know it'd be interesting to see your journey in you know a couple of years to see like if you do try and um, standardize you know on principles and like one of the big ones we have at um at Coles is um we've been going for a simplification because we do have this enormous sprawl of products um and monitoring tools and uh, yeah observability tools and devops tools and all these types of things so trying to like centralize that it's been a it's a it's going to be an ongoing challenge yeah, going back in time at Seek about sort of four or five years ago, it was very similar. Um, everyone had the freedom to choose what language they liked, and there was Scala, Go, Haskell, um, yeah. everything you know you could name was there somewhere. Um, and as a part of this kind of working group, we sort of said, you know, we're going to try and get like this language diversification under control, and um, to try and do that. We, we first tried by sort of mandating, saying, hey, look, we want to endorse these things. And that went very poorly, a lot of sort of backlash from our engineering community. And um, so we established a community of practice at that time to sort of bring all the engineers together into one room and have conversations about these things. And we had another false start on language standardization. So we picked something a little less controversial, which was like deployment tooling, um, and we were able to sort of get the organizational line behind BuildKite. Um, and that kind of started a bit of a trend where people are like, oh, okay, so if we kind of all use this same thing and there's someone who owns it and supports it really well, that works out pretty well for us. Um, you know, so we ended up establishing a domain within the organization called Tech Platforms. Um, and I used that term paved road before. The, the goal was not to mandate anything, but let's um, resource standards in a way that they're supported so well that it wouldn't make sense to choose another option. Um, and so it was kind of like through that mechanism that we said, we're going to sort of build and support everything in TypeScript. Um, if you don't want to use it, that's kind of up to you, but there's going to be libraries, tooling, automation, um, guilds for learning, the experts going to be around to help you. And it was that kind of like support mechanism that kind of drove alignment. And um, even from an architecture perspective, we never mandated that people should migrate any existing system to TypeScript. But even today, I would say that 90 to 95 percent of the entire Seek landscape is now probably written in in TypeScript and probably leverages a lot of sort of common tooling libraries, patterns, um, etc. Um, so much so that 
one of the things we have to sort of pay a lot of attention to now is the supportability of systems. So up until about two years ago, we never had really any formal portfolio management capability. And what we would find is there'd be some system written in Scala or something like that. And the only person who knew how it worked had resigned, um, you know, and we have a language now to be able to say, hey, that's a mission critical capability. We never had that language before, but we can sort of say, hey, there's a system here within a mission critical product capability with really poor supportability because the people who understand how it works don't exist at Seek anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and we're now sort of proactively trying to identify and mitigate against some of these things. And Lennon, I think you had a point there before too. Yeah, look, I was going to say that, you know, a lot of, sometimes, well, a lot of the time, the architecture reflects the organisation that was built in. So particularly the technology portfolio ends up reflecting the organisation. So, you know, if your organisation is deliberately decentralised in a, in a business operation fashion, then the technology portfolio will follow that. And that's, it's, a very, it's difficult, of course, then for architecture to place anything resembling some standards. So if you do assemble groups that have accountability or responsibility for different parts, then that's kind of part of the organisational journey of scaling up a product or scaling up an organisation as, as it gets bigger. And to me, that's where the architecture piece really starts to come into play. So it has to be hand in hand with some organisational design to get the right kind of principles and standards not being enforced, but being encouraged and actually supported in, in the right way. Hmm. And it's, it's interesting. Um, also on that about uh, like where you apply governance in these types of um, situations, like when you do have uh, like lots of uh, disparate teams kind of working on different things in different tool sets, how do how do you actually apply governance there? How do you, how do you bring people together and um, yeah, with with the idea of of course they're still on pace, not blocking people and not being that kind of um, you know like the department of no as sometimes uh, architectures like to be called, but um, you know but actually being that enabler. So how do you um, you know, do like just in time governance, or how, how do you get people to just create? Um, like, you know, at Coles, we use like a lot of patterns, so we have like a lower level forum for pattern um design, so where you can come and uh, present a pattern. So it might be a cloud connectivity, you know, some SaaS um products uh linking together, or a particular tool set that we're choosing on that. So we actually we try and sometimes build out these um patterns and get them endorsed at a lower level so they're reusable for other teams as well. Um, but they're they're usually kind of like just in time. So we're just about to start building on this. So we then bring it to the the architecture forum. You know, we'll do like a security review because obviously we're very security focused. They do a security review and just make sure that it the pattern makes sense and kind of like applies to the principles in architecture. And then uh, kind of like you know once once it's endorsed, then just go ahead uh, for use. Yeah, I'm keen to see like where else you kind of do like just in time governance or, or what other governance you apply to um, some of those more like dynamic squads. If I go first, I think that in our short time here, I think we try to do a bit of uh, talk about just in time, but but also just knowing where we are in our on our on our road, so to speak, or our or our uh, in our maturity and and where we are in our product build, because we go through different waves of uh, of, of that. And I think what uh, what we have uh, what we're looking at is that applying governance at different levels at different times on that journey. So so when we start seeing that okay, there are some discrepancy in our <clears throat> in how we design our you know it could, could be our our 
event architecture, or, you know, not not the tooling and language, but just how we design our events and how and how and how consistent they are. Okay, maybe there, you know, there is a focus on that. So we apply a bit stronger focus on um, on on the, on on those topics and bring them up. But then say, okay, now we said it. Let's let's step back a bit and 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 see how we go. So it's a, it's a bit of a uh, because we 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 certainly want to find that 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 fine line right between um, between too too much and too little governance, but just know enough. So at the moment we we are we're applying a bit more governance than we probably will in let's say a year's time. Um, because we 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 just identified a few areas where our patterns, as you mentioned, it, Daniel, is is uh, they are um, either not strong enough or not uh, precise enough, uh, not uh, broad enough, and, and so we need uh, a bit of an uplift on that, uh, and then it's clear. So that, that's the way uh, I approach it. I have an open discussion with uh, with the security group, with the engineers, with the tech leads, with. Uh, with the you know the policy team you know and and the platform team as well as we have as well so that's the way I'm um, I'm navigating that uh, that space. Yeah, I think at Seek, if you look back in the rear vision mirror and um, identify all the sort of standards or patterns or tooling that people would associate with kind of like good practice now. I'd say none of them would have originated from architecture. Like none of it would have existed because architecture said, hey, we need to standardize this thing and standardize it this way. I think it's because someone was had the autonomy to innovate and were able to identify yeah. that as a good use case that could be harvested and then broadened out across the organization. So, you know, I think that's where the best practices originate from practice. Uh, maybe that's why they're the same word. Um, yeah. Probably I'd say is uh, I could con contrast the approach at Medibank where it's less about development practice and it's more about trying to understand the impact of decisions. So, so particular decisions might be if we introduce a new vendor or a new product that actually is a new kind of capability, then we should think about whether that's got a level of synergy or or applicability to other parts of the business. So that's a particular type of decision. And we had to kind of model out what kind of decisions had that kind of impact. Because it's less so about the, the, the building practice, because that's kind of held within the development area. At the other at the place where I was a product company, it was very much around development practice. So what are the kind of the data access techniques? What are the logging techniques? What are the inventing patterns? What are the ways we want to go about building APIs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Because what mattered to that was if we do it kind of once, then it scales to a couple of hundred engineers and, and you get some efficiency because of that. So to me, it kind of depends on what the company's situation is and what matters the most out of those decisions. Interesting topic. Um, I suppose an example of that we have live at the moment today is across this diverse technical landscape of things that we build and uh, operate versus buy and integrate, there's still some common needs like observability of cost. You know, so like what do you, what's attributing to our cost of our infrastructure? Um, and so, you know, it's one of those things where we think about, okay, well, how do we like not sort of mandate how we do sort of cost observability and implementation, but um, have a way that you can have a common kind of 
visualization of costs from those different systems in a way that also will evolve over time. And it's kind of one of these debates where it's like, should we actually just have a single solution for cost observability or should there be a single standard where things can kind of emit their cost information and it can be aggregated centrally? And, you know, we kind of, particularly in this kind of two-sided architecture environment, you know, there's a bit of debate on kind of like how you would approach something like that. Oh, so you you mean uh, across uh, your um, your product focus and a corporate focus at seek that you have two different yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah is it that, <clears throat> you know is another one of these sort of architectural iterations that we're experiencing at seek is we're always really comfortable that the corporate environment kind of operated in isolation and the product environment operated in isolation but now there's more and more common concerns across both of those landscapes um, things like cost, security, data access, data access control, uh, things like this where we don't really care whether it's Salesforce or something we built. We just want to have the same controls and the same visibility in place and the same executive wanting to get access to that information. So, you know, how, how do we combine those things? And I, I think that's really the role of like enterprise level architecture, right, is to um, you know, start tying those things across, you know, um, whether it's like standardization or um, or simplification or just, you know, as you said, cost observability, you know, actually being, have, having that um, that upper level view across all the, the different platform stacks, um, whether they are, you know, at the corporate or the product level and um, being able to, you know, pull out some of those um, themes kind of like centrally and, and bring them together. Yeah, I mean, at the risk of kind of delving into architecture abstract speak, it, it speaks to kind of capability modeling. And it sounds like, you know, some of the common infrastructure and operational management capabilities are starting to need to be common between those particular domains which have been isolated. And so that probably speaks to probably, the, you know, maybe a third leg or a common leg because you have started equally having stakeholders who don't care which one that comes from, they just want to know how much is infrastructure costing and how secure is infrastructure overall, mm. less so about, you know, which particular application or, or, or business domain it belongs to. Yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. Especially if you're looking at that security side, right? If you're getting uh, an audit or if you're trying to comply with like essential eight or something like that, yeah. Um, it doesn't really matter where your stack is, it has to be compliant. Um, yeah. And so having yeah, having that observability across uh, all those areas to be able to provide data for you know risk and order reports or um, yeah, anything else like that is you know very useful you know you, yeah very useful tool as well. Yeah, if you go down to the the data angles of privacy and consent, then you're going to have to touch on similar concerns across those domains as well. I suppose that's also where governance does come in, right? So. Um, Especially around the that the security side or, or you know PI data things like that. So we do have um, you know, like other forums outside of architecture that especially at Coles that look at um, you know pri like privacy council where we you know we ensure that um, we know where all the systems that we hold PI data um, uh, live. Also, you know um, we do payments um, processing so PCI. So once again, have to know where all the systems that we have PCI data uh, in case we you know because we have a yearly audit on um. PCI like DSS compliance, so yeah, like a yeah, especially like a central registry of that as well. Um, and that's something that I feel probably architecture should control. 
and we, we have, it's one of the things, one of the big challenges we've been um, facing at um, Coles is trying to just get information on all our disparate systems that are supported by different groups um, across that corporate side, across the product side, um, and trying to just bring some of those things together so we do have a good overall picture. And when someone asks us for a like a, a report on um, PI data, we can actually hopefully with them pretty pretty accurate results give them a result of uh, sorry, yeah an answer to where you know where our most critical systems are and where the most uh, data is kept um, and you know, from especially from security lens and making sure that we are also securing those systems as, as best we can yeah and in terms of governance um, if I was going to say just to to uh, to comment on that Daniel as well that we, we <clears throat> for uh, I think the the architecture review board if you know as the ARB and um, it's probably the most uh, the, the broadest forum we have um, at our young company uh, where all those voices are are in so you're talking about the the, the privacy team we're talking about the data uh, and security team the uh, um, they, they're all represented in there and it's probably the sort of the the most cross-cutting uh, forum we have. So we tr do try to bring in all those because it affects everyone. Uh, and we, we do like to hear that that that, that, that cross-functional concern whenever a, a topic is coming coming up. So um, so that's that's how we, we do it now. Maybe even some for, just for, uh, not as a governance piece, but also as an information dispersion piece as well to, to get input. Thanks everyone, some really good inputs so far and I think we've covered off a lot there. Moving on to our last topic, which is stepping away from ivory tower architecture. Daniel, what's your thoughts on that? At Coles, we do have enterprise um, architects as well as solution architects, infrastructure architects and data and uh, integration and lots of others. But um, I guess the role of enterprise architects isn't as such to um, prescribe to the business what um, what they should be doing. It's it's really about looking across those domains and trying to find similarities or trying to find the the best way to um, you know, implement some new software or you know looking at maybe some of the another product squad is building and like reusing those components. So that's uh, really more of the focus of enterprise architecture calls is trying to find those things we can actually um, you know, collaborate on or we can reuse across the organization and. Um, trying not to just uh, do single point solutions for for everything. So yeah, interested to hear from everyone else. Yeah, and enterprise architecture at Seek, I would say, is in response to this organisational evolution. We now have stakeholders who are asking questions of much broader implication, and those questions were never asked before. Um, and so I, I kind of see enterprise architecture as being established to have visibility and knowledge of those common concerns and to be able to report on them and describe them to people who care about those questions. Um, it's probably not a great motivator, but it's the motivator that exists today. Um, and I'm sure that as we mature, it'll be about kind of leveraging and, and being able to do things more efficiently. But um, at the moment, it's really about trying to answer questions that are being asked important questions, um, but just weren't being asked before. I think the ivory tower is a very provocative term, of course, so it's fair to stimulate discussion, but I think at the heart of it, an architecture team is like a very connective team if it's going to work well, because it kind of has to sit at the connection between business and technology, it needs to sit and say look for synergies and opportunities between different lines of business who wouldn't necessarily talk to each other 
it needs to find a balance between short-term and long-term considerations. It needs to understand some potential technology dependencies because, again, programs and, and things run in parallel and um, the linkage between identity and privacy and security, there can be those kind of things. So I think the the connection between all of those and make, making those things visible, making decisions visible is an important part. I just can't see how you can have an ivory tower architecture function. You might just have ivory tower individuals who are just been left alone by themselves, but that really have any impact on the organisation. Yeah, I definitely could uh, can nod to that, uh, Leonard. It's um, it's certainly a, a there's no there there could never be really a functional <laughs> or, or effective uh, ivory tower, and and I think it's more. Uh, I think you mentioned also earlier about the the role of architectures is to, uh, to to also highlight impact of decisions, highlight the trade offs that are that are uh, that that we need to 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 make and and. Again, you mentioned connecting the dots. It's exactly that. It's just about uh, illustrating, showing, um, documenting, and uh, these um, these trade-offs that we we have to to make uh, as as any new new item comes uh, comes across that we need to do. So, so I think that 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 is the that is the role of architecture is really focusing on that. Um, and uh, and yeah, there and you. You work at a higher level, which might be the 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 the, the ivory tower, but you you do you work at that level, that abstraction level, to to connect the dots, um, so that the different teams can make the the most right decision in that context they're in. So that's uh, and that's how we do it. And I think we use our governance, you know, a governance forum, but we use it as a as a as a forum to to. To to instill that that discussion around privacy, around data, around the architecture, around data, the the security aspects of it, and uh, to to really get as many people across it as possible, so they understand the trade offs. Um, that's that's how we do it. Yeah, my my personal experience with this is I'm becoming increasingly uncomfortable with the distance of my role from delivery. Um, so as someone who's kind of come from delivering and operating software um, and seeing the importance of that working effectively to actually continue continue to drive value and drive good outcomes, the further I get away from that, the more uncomfortable I become. Um, so there's kind of like this tension of, you know, you're being asked to do these sort of enterprise-wide concerns, but at the end of the day, I've still got this, you know, 800-person engineering capability that's got to work effectively, it's got to work efficiently. Um, you know, and that's a real personal struggle for me. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm maybe not meeting the needs of the ivory expectations at the cost of being more concerned about what's happening on a day-to-day -day basis. I love um, the metaphor by Gregor Hope, mm. the architect elevator. Um, I think Tron, you might have mentioned that before, right? So that's um, you know mm. connecting like the the penthouse, like the the C-suite down to um, you know. Um, development delivery down in kind of the engine room and you know being able to like traverse that um that building up and down so being able to talk to the executives being able to um, translate those requirements down to the the next level of you know the product uh, designers and then trying to uh, help the engineering squads below actually like uh, build those things and i suppose um you know as an enterprise you know 
architecture function, you know, you, you probably sit more up towards those upper levels, but it's it's um, always good to be connected down because you you, know, you still need to be in touch with reality and, and how, how teams actually deliver um, you know, solutions and products and designs at the end of the day as well. Yeah, I can certainly nod to that. Uh, that's that struggle there, uh, Troy. <laughs> I have the same one. I, I come from a software engineering background, and and I instinctively want to, want to talk about um, event architectures or uh, or uh, you know problems that are sort of real that I can see and and, and solve those. But it's yeah, uh, I, I love that uh, Gregor Hope. Uh, uh, sort of title as well on the uh, the elevator to travel up and down and and I do find it also where I just have to remind myself to where can I be most effective in the in in my organization uh, in this month this quarter uh, what was the most important because I I do travel a lot up and down and um, so so it is a, it is a it is a struggle <laughs> easy to fall into a to a habit. Um, I think it's a healthy tension that I don't think any architecture team should forget that the purpose is to drive and enable technology change. So it's not the it's not the intermediate artifacts that really matter. It's uh, how do you get it. But sometimes, as I say, you know, I I think you know focusing on securing funding or the executive endorsement allows for those things to actually happen. So it may not be the most exciting thing from an engineering perspective, but it provides the framework for team for other teams to be successful. So, um, but you know, at the end of the day, the outcome is we're enable technology change at a at a big, better and bigger scale in general. Just before we finish up for today, I see Daniel has a final point there. Oh, I, I just thought I know trying to pose the question. You know, do we need architects? I I think hopefully it. Uh, the end of this discussion we probably we've discovered that we probably <laughs> still do right so you do need someone to be able to um you know connect whether you're talking across domains um you know looking at that enterprise view you know, how, how can you um connect different teams you know how can you deliver like you know value for the business and also if we talk about that elevator you know, you know connecting up and down so how do you how do you relay those requirements uh the you know the um Sometimes the the pressures from the that the c-suite or your executive management teams down to the um people who are building the products um, and supporting them on the ground. I think the, back to that Gregor Hope thing, I think his, his one of his titles is there is not what do you need architects, which I put up there, but it's more is that do you want architects with your architecture? Uh, and that speaks to the how deliberate and in, intentful and deliberate you are with your decisions about what you are essentially building. So uh, I think the, the answer is yes, <laughs> we do want the Okay. Uh, all that kind of thinking. It doesn't have to be the role. Like with us, it's not. It's not the the title, the the role name. It's but it's. Uh, you need to have that that the level of thinking when you are doing either solution or domain or or enterprise. Mm. Yeah, I, I think for any business to keep growing and keep scaling, you still have to keep breaking it down into smaller and smaller parts. Um, and I think what you're trying to achieve is like some way that those parts coordinate together. And I think that's often the role that architecture plays, whether or not that needs to be done by an architect might depend on the sort of culture and operating model of your business. But Yeah, and I think I'd echo that. I think you need the architecture activity and the architecting and how it's organised and formulated and the role titles is a bit of an organisational design and kind of cultural kind of uh, issue.
think we can all comfortably agree um, over there. So we'll <laughs> we'll finish the discussion here for today. But a big thank you to Tron, Daniel, and Leonard, and Troy for joining and sharing your insights. Um, hope everyone enjoyed listening. <laughs>